The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here is your top five at five. Will a new week mean new markets? Future slightly higher, even as President Biden says America would defend Taiwan militarily. Those comments sure to enrage Beijing. This coming after one of the worst weeks for stocks in years, with the Dow doing something for the first time in nearly a century. Merger Monday, this time a potential multi-billion dollar deal in the beaten down semiconductor space. Plus, the state where it's gonna cost you nearly 150 bucks to fill up your truck or SUV. The price of the pump shows no signs of easing. Later on, looking for opportunity in these beaten up markets? Of course you are. In your morning RBI lists some stocks one bank says could benefit from a big shift happening right now. It is all happening on this Monday, May 23rd, and this is CNBC. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for starting your day and your week with us here, and let's get right now to your Monday money and see if we can start this week better than certainly the last one ended. Futures right now, they are higher across the board by about, I don't know, four-tenths, a half of one percent. Now, on Friday, we did have a lot of big stocks, Apple, Amazon, others. They had a lot of buying momentum heading into the close. So maybe, just maybe a little bit of a tailwind this morning for stocks. Although a couple of hours ago, President Biden in Tokyo saying this morning that America would defend Taiwan militarily if China were to ever invade. Those comments are new, and we will see if they impact the market. This is not something American presidents have really said out loud in the past. They are likely to anger Beijing. We shall see. Now, last week, another miserable one for stocks in what has been a tough year. The Nasdaq down last week 4%. The S&P and Dow about 3% each, both capping their longest weekly losing streaks since the dot-com bubble burst 20 years ago. The Dow coming off a 2.9% decline and its longest weekly losing streak since 1923. 99 years ago. Wow. In bonds, 10-year yield at 2.81%, so still well off its recent highs. Oil, though, it is back on the rise again, 111 bucks per barrel here. Natural gas staying above $8. Remember, the longer that natural gas stays here, the higher your electric bills are going to be when you crank that air conditioning this summer. As oil rises, so does gasoline. AAA national average for a gallon of gas is now 4.59. It's up about 47 cents from just one month ago. By the way, be thankful for that. If you live in California, AAA says the national average is now above six dollars a gallon. So think about that. You got a Ford F-150 with a 25-gallon fuel tank. You're nearly empty. You go to fill up. You're going to pay about 140 to 150 dollars to fill up your truck. Better hope Bitcoin keeps going up. It's not right now. Maybe a little bit. A rare morning, actually, with not a lot of volatility. 
We are seeing Bitcoin and Ether both moving up, but again, not by much. Kind of a rare, non-volatile morning in a good way for crypto. All right. Let's see how things are shaping up overseas, including some of the top headlines from around the world right now. Juliana Tatelbaum is in London with what looks like a pretty mixed package there on the wall behind you, Juliana. Well, Brian, it is a bit of a mixed bag here in Europe. We started out the morning on the front foot, a really strong start to trade. The stock 600, the main benchmark, opened up about 1%. But we have seen some of that shine come off. And now European equities are trading off the highs. The French market has crossed into negative territory, now down about two-tenths of a percent. At one stage, the DAX was up about 1.4%. We're now up just half a percent. The Italian market has been underperforming all morning. It's still down uh, more than 1%. FTSE 100 trading around 0.6%. So it is a mixed start to trade, Brian. I think the context is interesting. We're coming into today's session. Uh, we did end the week lower last week, but it was a much more resilient trading period than what you had on Wall Street. So European stocks have been outperforming their U.S. counterparts, which is just an interesting backdrop as we head into this week. I want to take you now to the euro, Brian. The euro has been on a tear this morning. We're now up nearly 1% versus the dollar. And a lot of this movement has come on the back of an unusual blog post from the ECB. They took the opportunity today to publish a blog post. They said it was important to clarify the path forward for monetary policy. And in it, they all but pre-announced a rate hike in July and another one in September. So paving the way to get out of negative rates by the end of Q3. No guidance beyond that, but it is a notable and a lot of ECB watchers are taking it into consideration today. We are therefore seeing this bounce in the euro versus the greenback. Brian, we'll hand it back over to you. Central bankers around the world, Juliana, it's just so bizarre right now, having to clarify <laughs> things in blog posts. Unbelievable. All right, Juliana, thank you very much. All right, that is your global look. Why don't we bring it back here stateside and check out some of this morning's top corporate stories here, including the latest on the baby formula crisis, which now has to involve the American military. Silvana Hanau is here with that and more. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Yeah, so a military cargo plane carrying the first shipment of infant formula from Europe landed in Indianapolis yesterday, a first step in easing the nationwide shortage. The 78,000 pounds of formula is set to be enough to fill half a million baby bottles, with the White House saying another shipment is expected within the coming days. Apple is reportedly telling some of its contract manufacturers that it wants to boost production outside of China. According to The Wall Street Journal, the move is at least partially in response to China's zero-COVID policy. Among the countries seen as China alternatives, India and Vietnam, which already contribute a small amount to Apple's global production supply chain. Hyundai Motors says it plans to invest $5 billion in the U.S. by 2025 to further develop technologies in areas like autonomous driving, AI and robotics. The investment coming as Hyundai already says it plans to spend $5.5 billion to build its first ever dedicated EV and battery plant in the U.S. near Savannah, Georgia. That facility expected to open in the first half of 2025, Brian. Okay, there you go. Building out here in the United States and everything going to the southeast. So it's all in the south. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you very much. You got it. All right. Well, let's go down around the world. We've got a major developing story this morning on a couple of fronts. President Biden announcing a new major economic deal with Asian trading partners in an effort to counter China's growing influence in the region. All this, as he said, that American military would defend Taiwan if attacked or invaded by China. NBC News' Carolee joining us now from Tokyo. 
Uh, Carol, you got the economic pact story. That's a big one, but it's going to be, I'm guessing, dramatically overshadowed by these comments about president from President Biden about defending Taiwan. That is not something that American presidents have said explicitly in the past. Yeah, it was a real moment there in the president making news when he was asked if the U.S. would step in and defend Taiwan militarily if China were to invade Taiwan. The president was very clear and answered succinctly, saying yes, that, that the U.S. would indeed do that. Now, the White House is trying to clarify that, saying that there's no change in U.S. policy. This has brought condemnation from China very quickly. And it's really significant because the president is not just saying this, he's saying it while in this region. And so the concern is that it could really escalate tensions. Like I said, the White House is trying to say this does not signal a change in policy. But why don't you take a listen to what the president said and see how clearly he stated this. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are? That's a commitment we made. That's a commitment we made. We are not. Look, here's the situation. We agree with a one-China policy. We signed on to it, and all the attendant agreements made from there. But the idea that, that it can be taken by force, just taken by force, is just not, is just not appropriate. It will dislocate the entire region and be another action similar to what happened in, in, uh, in Ukraine. Brian, what prompted this conversation, this remarks from the president was a conversation about Ukraine. So he was saying that Russia's actions in Ukraine are being closely watched by China and said more explicitly than we've heard him say that the, U the way the U.S. is approaching the Ukrainian conflict is basically with China and Taiwan in mind. So doing taking steps very consciously that with the, in mind that China would be watching every move that that the US and its allies have made there now he so he's also saying that this is something that the US is very continues to be very concerned about um, however he did say that he doesn't believe that China ultimately would move in on Taiwan yeah, under the 1979 Taiwan Relations Act, the U.S. basically has said that they would help Taiwan defend itself, but that there is no direct security guarantee. I'm, I'm just going to uh, make a stab in the dark, Carol, that those comments are going to have to be clarified fairly quickly because they will enrage Beijing. Let's go back to why you were supposed to be here, which is the news that announcement about some kind of economic deal between Japan and other region uh, countries in the Asian region to try to blunt some of China's impact. I mean, that should have been the headline. That's right. And this is called the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. So it's the 13 countries, including the U.S., who have all agreed. It's a little murky. There's a lot to still be worked out. But they've all agreed, essentially, to... to talk to have discussions about negotiating agreements on trade on how to address supply chains on tackling climate change so this is the first step and there's nothing binding in it but it is a step toward what the administration hopes is some sort of economic pact or agreement in the future among these countries to stand as a check against China. This is largely what the administration has been talking about in terms of economic security. So saying that the U.S. and its allies in the region need to band together economically to guard against yeah. China.
I'm Carol Lee in Tokyo, Japan. Carol, we really appreciated some breaking news headlines. Those are surely to be uh, vetted throughout the day. Carol, thank you very much. All right, folks, we are just getting started on a busy Monday. When we come back, we are going to take you live to the World Economic Forum in Davos. It is back for a one-on-one with that man right there, our friend Dan Jurgen. Plus, a possible merger Monday in the works of the beaten down chip space. And then your morning RBI and a few stocks that one bank says could be great plays if the mighty greenback keeps surging. Got a lot more to do. Futures, they're higher. For now, oil up as well. We're back with Dan Jurgen right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. And the World Economic Forum is back in Davos, Switzerland, for the first time in two years. It was bumped a few months to the spring by the pandemic. Remember, it's usually in January. We have snow. Now we have the sound of music. Energy security and the war in Ukraine overshadowing, of course, the entire event. And any Russian representation is completely absent. All this just a couple of hours ago, President Biden making those comments in Tokyo that we just highlighted that America would defend China militarily if China were to go on the offensive, let's sort of defend Taiwan. Let's talk more about it all with Dan Jurgen, vice chairman of S&P Global and author of his latest book, The New Map, Energy, Climate and the Clash of Nations. It is excellent. Dan, of course, also one of the smartest people in the world about all things energy. One of the guys that I have learned probably the most from in the last 10, 15 years. Dan, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Uh, I want to talk about energy security and policy, but if I could get a moment Uh, If you have a comment or reaction to President Biden's comments in Tokyo about Taiwan, I'm going to guess those comments will be watered down or walked back by the White House. uh, But those are pretty uh, explicit uh, yeses by President Biden. What is your take on that? In fact, I think the White House has already walked back, says it makes no change in our policy of strategic ambiguity. But clearly that's not the way it'll be read in Beijing. And uh, it is all part of this kind of movement uh, towards uh, this great power competition and this sort of rising split between China and the United States, which is the defining geopolitical issue for many years to come. Yeah, it truly is. And we'll, we'll see what happens there. Futures, they are higher. Oil is higher as well. And, you know, Dan, I think the one thing that you have done in your career and that I have learned from you so much and you write about it in, in your books is that, you know, people sometimes think of energy as a part of the global economy. In many ways, energy is the economy, is it not? I mean, literally, the economy is just taking energy to make things that we can buy, sell, 
and produce. Uh, how front line is energy security being talked about in Davos right now? You know, you're, you're so right, Brian. It is, it is, energy is the foundation and it's embodied in everything else. If you look at the price of food, if you figure energy costs in one way or the other are 70% of the total cost of food. Well, I think energy security may not have been planned a couple of months ago to be on the agenda, but it's front and center on the agenda. I just came from a, a, a meeting with the uh, German vice chancellor, Robert Habeck, who was talking, you know, he said that Germany uh, had made a strategic mistake being as dependent as it has been on Russian oil, gas and coal. And he said, we're going to change that in a matter of weeks. But on the other hand, uh, there's a recognition wow. that that's a very big job to do. And the repercussions, we had the energy industry, energy minister, petroleum minister from India talking about, he says it's intolerable what's happening with prices and what it means in terms of inflation. So these issues have really come crashing in on the discussion at, at Davos. With all due respect to uh, Habeck of Germany, how do you change 30 years of energy policy and reliance on imported Russian energy in a matter of weeks or months, Dan? Well, I think the way Vladimir Putin has done it by invading, of course, Ukraine and the reaction to it, I think he never expected that Europe would respond the way. He assumed that given their high dependence on Russian energy, they would say this is terrible and wave it on and, and get on with life. I think you can see it happening in crude oil pretty quickly. That's the one where you have the most flexibility, at least for now, because uh, there's enough oil in the world. Although, as China comes out of COVID lockdowns, demand will go up and put pressure on it. It gets more complicated when you're looking at product, i.e. diesel or jet fuel, and it's a really complicated when you look at natural gas because you simply don't have the same flexibility because you're depending so much on pipelines instead of oil that can be moved around on tankers. So natural gas, when I talk to people here, the biggest issue they come back to again and again is natural gas. Where can we find some gas to replace what flows through Nord Stream 2? And, uh, and that's the one that's causing the most concern, not only for governments, but also, of course, for industry and for consumers. And what are they saying about that, Dan? Obviously, renewables are a huge part of that strategy. Renewables can be extremely effective in many ways. But the one thing renewables are not good at is storage. That, that's the biggest knock on right. renewables right now. We're getting there. There are battery technologies that are coming out. But even the biggest, best batteries for renewables will store that power for about 8 to 12 hours, not days, weeks, months. Yeah. Or even years. Where do we right. stand right now? Exactly. Natural, yeah. Uh, natu natural gas you can have in storage in the autumn and use it all through the winter. So, I mean, they're, they're saying we're going to accelerate renewables, but even in this discussion today, they said it's two or three years. And there's a couple of other obstacles. One is permitting. Uh, once, uh, you know, one of the companies says it can take seven years to license to permit a new onshore wind turbine in Europe. And the other things is the supply chain. Uh, the supply chains for renewables are just as difficult as they are for, for others. And so that's a hindrance. But no question Europe is going to, if I may say this, step on the gas in terms of renewables and try and speed it up. Uh, more offshore wind, for instance, is very much on the agenda. But there are supply chain issues and there are lead times. I want to be optimistic on a Monday morning, Dan, but I also want to be realistic as well. Uh, if for some reason, whether it's Putin's choice or some sort of 
uh, act of, you know, against a pipeline, the Yamal pipeline or, or one of the other ones, the friendship pipeline, if they were to have a problem, per se, if Russian gas were to tomorrow be cut off to continental Europe entirely, what would happen? What would that look like? Well, well, Brian, you're asking the right question, which is not let's debate what you can or can't do. You have to assume exactly what you've said, that it actually does happen. Maybe Putin will do something, you know, a tactical nuclear weapon or something, or just cut it off. I mean, he's doing it to individual countries. What do you do then? Well, what you want to do is you want to plan in advance and say, yes, we can bring some more gas on actually from Netherlands. We can bring 10 percent more gas on from uh, Norway. U.S. LNG has become a part of the security, uh, your energy security of Europe. So all of those things, but it will take real cooperation. And I think your point, you've got a plan for that worst case happening because it could happen, you know, tomorrow it could happen next week in, in the situation that we're in. And so I think some of this going back and forth as debating this or that, I think they need to be planning for the case that you're talking about. Yeah, it's terrifying to consider. It could be from Putin. It could be from Ukraine. It could be from outside sources or forces. Uh, but it is a risk, right. certainly. Dan Jurgen of uh, S&P Global. Dan, you know, I love having you on. Uh, it's great to have you in Europe. Uh, makes you. the hours a little bit easier. <laughs> Dan, have a wonderful day and uh, a great conference. Dan, thank you very much. And by the great. way, folks, check out again his new book, The New Map. It is truly excellent. All right. Still on deck, this morning's big money movers and a big day shaping up for Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan. We'll tell you why. Worldwide exchange rolls on. Stock features up 133 on the Dow. We're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back. Time now for your Big Buddy Movers. Three key stock headlines that are happening right now. Let's go. Stock number one, a little company called Tesla. You may have heard about them. Well, they are hoping to increase production at their Shanghai China plant from about 1,200 to 2,600 cars per day. Reports say that workers, get this, will have to live in a bubble until mid-June due to the recent COVID outbreak. By the way, that's two years long. Tesla's eager to resume the round-the-clock production once supply issues stable. If supply issues stabilize. All right, stock number two, another upstart, Amazon. Bloomberg reporting the company is looking to sublet at least 10 million square feet of warehouse space and end some leases as the online shopping boom slows down. The excess space includes facilities in New York, New Jersey, Southern California, and Atlanta. Last month, Amazon reported slowing growth and a weak profit outlook, blaming that partly on overbuilding during the pandemic. 
And stock three, J.P. Morgan Chase, the company holding its first investor day in more than two years. The meeting comes over criticism about CEO Jamie Dimon's pay package and spending plans for the biggest American bank. J.P. Morgan shares are down more than 25% this year. That's compared to a 19% drop for the big bank index. All right, on deck. A look at what some may call the reverse wealth effect and why the Fed may be counting on it to try to crush inflation. We'll tell you about it coming up. Stocks looking to put a stop to the sell-off as the Dow coming off something it has not done for 99 years. Futures, they are higher. A new warning out this morning about the economy's road ahead. City's private bank chief economist Stephen Whiting laying out whether economic fundamentals justify the heavy selling. And a potential mega merger in tech with chipmaker Broadcom reportedly looking to make a move into the cloud. This all happening on this Monday, May 23rd, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back, and good Monday morning, everybody. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for being with us. Let's get right now to your Monday morning and see if we can start this week better than we did the last one. Futures right now looking that way. They are higher across the board. Dow futures up about 187. NASDAQ futures up about three-tenths of 1%. In the bond market, we've seen buyers come in lately. Bond yields have actually come down. They're at 2.81% right now. But oil and gas, natural gas, it's been the story and it is higher across the board. We are seeing the price of oil at about 111 bucks per barrel right now. Natural gas just ticked negative, but it's still above 8 bucks. And gasoline prices continue to rise. In fact, according to AAA, the national average for a gallon of gas is 4.59 up 47 cents in 30 days. And now in parts of California, it's above $6 on average. I mean, think about that. You got a, a big SUV or a pickup truck and it's near empty. It'll cost you about $140 to $150 to fill up your tank in California. Wow. All right, more on that in a bit. But now to perhaps the story of the morning. President Biden saying that he would be willing to use force to defend Taiwan if it were attacked by China. The president making those remarks during a joint press conference with Japan's prime minister a few hours ago. Now, the White House already forced to clarify those comments, saying in part, quote, as the president said, our policy has not changed. He reiterated our one China policy and our commitment to peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. He also reiterated our commitment to provide Taiwan with the military means to defend itself. End quote. But remember, direct military intervention over Taiwan is not American policy. Under the 1979 Taiwan Relations Act, American presidents have committed to effectively helping Taiwan defend itself. Now, Taiwan's foreign minister thanking President Biden for affirming the American support. But as expected, China angry over those comments, saying that America should not defend Taiwan's independence. All of this overshadowing the new economic pact unveiled by the president. Certainly that Taiwan comment will take all the headlines. All right. Now to some of this morning's other top headlines, including a potential deal in technology in the works, according to reports Broadcom is in talks to buy software maker VMware. VMware currently has a market valuation of about $40 billion. The apparent talks between the two come roughly six months after Dell spun off. It's more than 80% stake in VMware. On that headline, Broadcom's down about 3%. Look at VMW taking off 
It is up 19% right now. Meantime, Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund taking a stake in a firm owned by Prince Al-Walid bin Talal, the government's public investment fund paying just over $1.5 billion for a nearly 17% stake in Kingdom Holding Company. The move comes after Prince Al-Walid was swept up in a Saudi anti-corruption campaign four years ago in which he was held for about three months at a hotel along with a number of other Saudi royals, government officials and businessmen. And new concerns about the road ahead for the American economy. Economists surveyed by the National Association for Business Economics have sharply lowered their growth outlook for the rest of the year. The median GDP forecast now stands at 1.8%, down more than a full percent from their February survey. And more than half of the economists polled believe the next recession will begin in the second half of 2023. All right, let's talk more about that and get back to the markets with the Dow coming off its longest weekly losing streak since 1923 and the S&P hovering less than 1% away from being down 20% on a closing basis. That would be in a bear market, by the way. Let's bring in Stephen Whiting of City Private Wealth. Stephen, welcome back. Uh, do the economic Does the economic outlook justify a 20% drop for the S&P 500 and a a far larger drop for many other stocks? Well, we have a good amount of slowing to come in the U.S. economy, in the world economy, this year into next. And we have higher interest rates. We have to discount assets with higher base interest rates. So this combination together, right, does take us uh, a good step back from where we were uh, during the boom year of 2021. So I think we've discounted a great deal already. Um, I absolutely believe recession isn't a necessary component of how we would get to a lower inflation rate. We have a couple of really good fundamentals going on, the slowdown in consumption, the recovery in domestic goods production in the U.S., the sharp rise in imports. All of this in time is going to help us get back to a lower inflation rate. But if we're going to take this and try to rapidly get us to a lower inflation rate, then uh, we sharply increase the the odds of recession. So I think we're not priced for recession, but uh, we've come a long way to pricing in that risk, and that risk is very present. Stephen, how long have you and I been talking? What, 20 20 years? years. 15, 20 years? Yeah, about 20 years. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm not sure I've seen an economy turn this quickly, maybe not the economy fundamentally, but certainly the sentiment around it turn this quickly in all that time. I'd like to hear your comment about that, whether you agree or disagree, and try to explain to our audience what exactly has happened. So this has been an incredibly sharp about face in the approach to monetary policy. And and let's be clear about that. The I think that we have seen um, a boom year. Uh, And the main thing that's happened here is two things have driven up inflation, broad based stimulus, too broad for uh, an external shock in in the form of COVID. Again, we had very severe, uh, concentrated negative effects in industries like hospitality, travel and leisure. We didn't just rescue those industries. We applied broad based stimulus of a magnitude never seen before. Uh, to that narrow problem. Now, what have we also done on the supply side? We obviously have a a series of shocks 
it's been impossible to import the quantity of goods that the COVID economy uh, and those lifestyle shifts required. I mean, when you're up 50% in autos demand and down 50% in public transportation demand, nobody can stabilize prices in that environment. Now, what we've done and the way this would look forward is that we are now seeing consumers have to approach inflation without help from the government. There are no more checks this year. And if you take a look at the first quarter, yeah. federal spending is down 33%. So we've taken out that subsidy, uh, and that's a large drag on after-tax income. Now, if you combine that with the fact that we have these supply shocks on, on the way, the Fed has never been able to address those before. So the main thing that's happened is that the Federal Reserve said, be patient. Let's be careful here. Let's foster a full recovery to say, no, let's shut down inflation and we need a rapid change in policy, including rapid quantitative tightening. Uh, and those are the words um, of yeah. uh, Vice Chair Brader. So this is a real about face in terms of monetary policy. And this is what's gotten you double digit decline in stocks, bonds and a 20 year high in the dollar. <clears throat> Ironically, we sent out stimulus trillions of dollars, maybe when a lot of people, a lot of people needed it. A lot of people didn't. Now they do need it because of inflation and they're not going to get it. Uh, Stephen, are you and your team expecting more drops for the stock market? Is this it? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at some scary technical charts over the week. I mean, it closed my computer. Because you can make the case for a lot more drops to come, or maybe this is it. What do you think? Look, uh, I would have to say uh, the, the forward-looking news that we have on inflation is clear enough for me that we don't need just a, a bearish view that there's no other way forward. I can't tell you, you know, whether today the bears will press it harder. I think they're really uh, in a battle right now between bulls and bears. I think sentiment is rotten. I think that there's been a great deal of repositioning and the precondition for stability that we should have in risk assets is a stabilization in the bond market. The long end of the bond market uh, is, I think, again, a higher probability bet that this slowdown again is getting priced in. So um, I feel like risk reward has moved into greater balance at this level. Um, I would be a little bit careful. We're not going to say, well, this is the time to just pile back into 2021's winners. Uh, but I think yeah. if we stay with quality assets, I think that we are better off being long uh, quality equities now at this level uh, than after what the shock that we've had to absorb from policy. Yeah, it's great advice. Listen, in 10 years, almost most of those probably will be higher in 10 months. Who knows? But 10 years, probably yes. And invest for the long run. Stephen Whiting, City Private Wealth. Good to have you back on, Stephen. Thank you very Thank much. You. Have a good day. All right, coming up, we're going to try, because this is what we do, to find a silver lining and all the markets continued turmoil. Did you know the markets were in turmoil? Robert Frank is here to lay out how Jay Powell and the Fed may actually look to the stock market's drop to help tackle inflation. Hmm. Robert's up next with that. Stick around. All right, welcome back. As we're about ready to likely enter a bear market for the S&P 500, let's get a different take on the stock market's big recent drop. And it's kind of a hot take. Because as bad as the markets have been lately, there may actually be a kind of upside, maybe helping Jay Powell and the Fed in their fight against inflation. Robert Frank is here now with more on how the so-called negative wealth effect could take a bite out of inflation. So you're saying because the markets have gone down, Robert, that solid gold Lamborghini I've had my eye on is now out of reach? Yes, Brian, and maybe it was 
always kind of a little out of reach, but maybe now even more out of reach. Uh, that's because one of the market forces that the Fed hopes will lower inflation is what's called the reverse wealth effect. This is the idea that as the value of your stocks and maybe your home goes down, you spend less. Research shows that for every investment that uh, dollar that you lose, consumers spend about five cents less. But this time, it may not work quite as planned. And that's mainly because consumers have a massive financial cushion. Americans gained about $40 trillion in wealth during the pandemic. They've lost about $5 trillion in the market so far this year. So they still have that extra $35 trillion as a comfort against their spending. Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari saying last week, quote, are stronger balance sheets leading people to spend more or be more confident, in which case maybe the Fed has to be even more aggressive. Another reason that the negative wealth effect may be weaker this time around is stock market ownership. The top 10 percent of Americans own 89 percent of individually held stocks. That is a record. So the, the losses are highly concentrated at the top. And by the way, that group also has the largest savings. So it's not going to impact their spending on those Lamborghinis quite as much. Now, home prices, which do have more of an impact of the spending on everyday Americans, they have not yet come down. Mark Zandi at Moody is saying it will take a market decline of at least 20 percent, which we've kind of had already, but lasting for the rest of the year, Brian, to have any meaningful impact on inflation. How much does do stock market gains factor into our thinking? I mean, we know that home equity does, Robert, but it's not like a lot of people are going to sell stocks. It's kind of just more of a psychological thing. But in your years and decades of doing this, how much does it really make us feel better about the economy? Well, the, you know, the, the positive wealth effect, which is the sort of flip side of the negative wealth effect, is that for every dollar that we gain in our investments or our home prices, uh, we spend an extra two to three cents. So there's definitely a positive psychological component on the way up and a negative on the way down. The way down, the reverse wealth effect is actually a stronger impact because we like we don't like losing money as much as we like gaining money. So, you know, on the way up and on the way down, there is a mood impact. It does give us confidence to go out and spend when we know that we have that investment cushion. Right yeah. now, there's so much house money that's been built up in that savings that it's just going to take longer and it's going to take a more aggressive Fed to get that reverse wealth effect actually to affect spending and then inflation. Well, they were dropping hundreds from their helicopter. Now I feel like they're hanging out of the chopper with like a big butterfly net, Robert, like swinging it, trying to take the money back. We'll see. Yep, Robert Frank exactly. on the negative wealth effect. Robert, always a positive to have you on. Thank you. All right. On deck, your morning RBI and the stocks that Credit Suisse says may actually benefit from a big shift that's happening with the dollar right now. Oh, and then the man behind that list, Patrick Palfrey, will talk about the names and the outlook for the broader markets and your money. In all May, we are celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. As we had to break, here is former Obama White House Policy Director, Dr. Kavita Patel. Growing up, I had always tried to fit in, and that meant oftentimes not acknowledging my own brown skin. And so raising my five-year-old daughter, it was incredible when one day she brought home a self-portrait that she had to do in class. And she filled in all the skin with a dark brown color. I always just 
through children, even my own portraits as having lighter skin or yellow hair, trying to fit in with all the children around me. She was incredibly proud of what made her different. And she celebrates that and all her drawings now include little brown girls. All right, welcome back and good Monday morning, everybody. Why don't we see how investors are kicking off this week? Well, today is J.P. Morgan Chase's Investor Day, the first one since before the pandemic. Starts at 8 o'clock this morning, Eastern Time. Executives are going to outline their strategic plan for shareholders, and we will be there to cover it all. We're also going to hear from two Fed heads, Atlanta President Rafael Bostic at noon and Kansas President Esther George at 7 p.m. tonight. And earnings to round out our lineup include Advance Auto Parts and Zoom out after the bell. It is time now for your Monday RBI, something random but hopefully interesting, CNBC style. And while it has been a brutal year for the stock market today, let's talk about something that has been going up. That is the U.S. dollar. The dollar, if you're not paying attention, is actually up nearly 10% this year and nearing one-to-one with the euro. Something has not happened in 20 years. Now, these kinds of currency shifts, they're like super tankers. They don't move often. They're slow. But when they move, they create a huge financial wake. And Credit Suisse says this could ultimately be a good thing for some stocks. In fact, Credit Suisse put together a list of strong dollar stocks. 50 names they think will benefit from a stronger U.S. dollar. And a basket of these stocks already outperformed what Credit Suisse calls the weaker dollar basket. Now, do we have time to walk you through or show you all 50 stocks? Of course not. This is live morning television. But... We can pick out a few specific names. So how do we decide which five to show you? Well, we didn't want to just editorialize and randomly pick five. So instead, we made a screener. We picked the five worst performers on the list this year because aren't you supposed to buy low, right? Of course, there's no guarantee these stocks will recover and they could go down even more. But that said, you're the weakest five of Credit Suisse's strong dollar stocks right now. The fifth worst, CarMax, down 29% this year. Home Depot down 30%. Target, after getting walloped last week, down 33% this year. And the worst two, believe it or not, maybe kind of go together. Domino's Pizza down 39% this year. And Netflix down nearly 70%. Kind of the epitome of the stay-at-home trade, if you will. But Credit Suisse says they could benefit from a stronger U.S. dollar. Just five of the 50 strong dollar stocks from Credit Suisse. So if you think the dollar will either keep going up or maybe just stay steady where it is, which has been strong, maybe those are some names to check out. And by the way, our guest coming up, we'll talk more about it because it's his list that we lifted, random and hopefully helpful. And let's bring in now one of the authors of that report, Patrick Palfrey, senior equity strategist at Credit Suisse. Patrick, hope you and your team don't mind us lifting your list uh, for our RBI. I, I read the note in prepping for this interview and I thought, yes, yeah, be a good RBI because we're all kind of looking for opportunities. You guys aren't saying these are going to surge, correct? You just think they're going to benefit more than weaker dollar names. Correct. Yeah. I, I think the question is, why Why do we think the dollar is going up? And there's, there's really three reasons here. There's uh, higher interest rate policy here in the U.S., uh, faster growth within the U.S., and then a little bit of a flight to quality. Those three items are continuing to drive the dollar strength. And what we have done for investors is put together a list that companies that are most sensitive to the rising dollar to allow them to take advantage of this dollar strength. 
Yeah. And do you guys expect this to last? I mean, I remember the God, I'm old enough to remember when the euro and the U.S. dollar hit parity 20 years ago. It was like free money going to Europe. That didn't last very long. Is strong dollar here to stay? I think I think if you look at those three reasons, the flight to safety, I think, can be unwound. Should we begin to see um, some of the zero COVID policies maybe dissipate or the war in Ukraine begin to dissipate? Uh, I do think, though, that the interest rate policy differentials in the U.S. and the fact that we are seeing faster growth, uh, GDP this year on a nominal basis is expected to be around 9 percent. Those two are probably going to continue to support a stronger dollar. Now, the dollar has already moved uh, a significant amount. So we don't think that we're going to see the same level of appreciation, but we do expect the dollar to continue to drift higher uh, through year end at least. Now, you guys recently lowered your S&P 500 target from 5,200 to 4,900. By the way, Patrick, I think you and everybody else are going to have to do this, but you're still seeing about 14% upside for the equity markets this year. So the biggest rallies we've had in percentage basis have come actually in bear markets. Uh, Do you think we are in a bear market, whether we're down 19 or 20 percent, right? Who cares effectively, Patrick? Uh, And what what is behind still some obvious optimism for the second half of the year? I, I think to your point, I mean, splitting a hair of a percentage point doesn't really make that big of a difference. Um, you, you know, there's a Correct. lot of pain for investors, particularly when you look across technology shares and, for example, like the Russell 1000 growth index. So I think a lot of people are fe- feeling a bear market, even if we're not exactly technically in that bear market. Uh, I think really much of the sell-up has been driven by really elevated valuations that started at the beginning of the year. We started at a 21 and a half multiple. We're down to a 16 and a half. So that's a significant derating. And during this period, uh, the fundamentals remain intact. In fact, we've seen EPS estimates continue to drift higher for 2022. So I think investors are concerned about the deceleration in economic activity. And look, let's be clear, the economy is decelerating. The question is, are we going to be recessionary uh, if we continue to slide. We don't think that's the case. I think most investors are uh, prepping really for that recession scenario. As I mentioned earlier, GDP this year on a real basis, 3%, on a nominal basis, 9%. It is slowing, but that is far from recessionary. And that's what investors yeah. are really positioning their portfolios for. And we think it's really overdone. Yeah, and just because everybody seems to think something's going to happen doesn't mean that it will happen. Let's hope that it does not happen. Patrick Prolfi, but we're glad you happened because we used it for the RBI as well. Patrick, have a great day. Thank you very much. All right, folks. And as always, thank you. Amazing how fast the show goes. Thanks for watching us here on Worldwide Exchange. We're going to see you again tomorrow. Stock futures, they're up. Oil is up. We're glad you're up. And Squawk Box is up next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely. 
positively FedEx.